And so the way I would think about this is who do I need to reach? What do they pay attention to? And what can I do that will earn that publications or that source of influence's attention? And if you think that way, rather than how do I rank for keywords or um, how do I get links, you're going to be much more successful with your marketing. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com awt and sign up for free. And now, back to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, Jos Hasiotis, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Rand Fiskin. I'm getting handsake, just, you know, saying out, uh, out loud the name, but I'll try to make it till the, till the end. Uh, Rand is the co-founder and CEO of audience research software startup SparkToro. He's dedicated his professional life to helping people do better marketing through his writing, video speaking, and his book, Lost and Founder. When Rant is not working, he's usually cooking a fancy meal for the love of his life, author Geraldine the Ritter. Rant, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, George. Good to be here. Even though I don't expect anyone who's listening to this episode to uh, not know who you are, uh, could you please uh, share a couple of things about you and your journey? Sure, sure. Um, So I think a lot of folks in the digital marketing universe know me from the previous company that I uh, founded and run for a long time, which was Moz. Uh, That company started as an SEO consultancy and then became um, a software company, obviously. And I, uh, I was the CEO there um, until 2014 and then stayed around a few years after that and, and left and started SparkToro in 2018. Um, and last year, obviously Moz was, uh, sold to a private equity company. And then I think they sold Moz to somebody else. Um, but so I, uh, also that year, 2018 published Lost and Founder, which, which sort of chronicles, uh, a lot of my journeys through the venture backed startup world and, um, the complexities, incentives, challenges around uh, that model, and and SparkToro is in many ways a response to that. So uh, these days, I do a lot of uh, speaking and events, a lot of webinars and, and video stuff, um, 
and uh, try and help folks, yeah, think about broadening their horizons outside of uh, pure SEO or, or paying Google and Facebook for advertising and, and trying to do other ways of marketing, as well as trying to help entrepreneurs break out of the idea that venture capital is the only way to fund and, and build a company. Uh, and those are, yeah, those are personal passions. I am also um, the creative director for a for a video game that um, is probably still a few years away from being launched, but that's been a really fun and interesting project as well, uh, working with a studio down in LA and uh, some artists and game designers. Um, it's uh, It's been a fascinating learning experience. Can we please talk about SparkTor a bit? Um, sure. If you could let us know what the tool is and um, yeah. who is the typical user and who gets the most value? Yeah, so uh, SparkToro is essentially a giant database of public social and web profiles. So we might say, um, you know, we, we'd go find a public profile on Twitter. Like here's Amanda Natividad's uh, profile. I think you had her on the show and, and obviously Amanda's our, uh, our VP of marketing here. And we might say, okay, here's Amanda's Twitter profile. And that points over to a LinkedIn profile, which has a link to her personal website, which has a link to her YouTube and her Reddit account. And I don't know, her GitHub and her Quora and Medium profiles and YouTube. And so we connect all these up and we say, that's one profile. Uh, we then anonymize the data because we don't we don't want to associate names or personal identifiable information. We're just trying to get data about, okay, you know, Amanda is a VP of marketing. So when you do a search in SparkToro for my audience uh, uses these words in their bio, VP marketing. Uh, Amanda might be one of the accounts that's one of the profiles that's pulled back and there's probably, you know, 17,000 other profiles and what SparkToro is showing is aggregated anonymized data about those people. What, what do they do online? What do they talk about? What do they say? What are their general demographics, uh, geography, gender, skills and interests? Uh, where, you know, uh, what kind of hashtags do they use when they post? What uh, podcasts do they listen to? What YouTube channels do they subscribe to? What websites do they visit? And I think th this is kind of the core of SparkToro, right? Is answering that really frustrating question, which is, gosh, I'm trying to target this sector that I don't know a whole lot about, or this new audience in a sector I do know a whole lot about, but I want to make sure that I reach them in the places they already pay attention. And I want to make sure that I'm speaking the language that they're already speaking. How do I do that? Historically, it was really surveys and interviews. And so the value that people get from SparkToro is replacing a lot of that manual, frustrating months or years worth of research and boiling it down to literally a few seconds to say, aha, 17% of people interested in packaging design in the EU uh, pay attention to this particular conference. That's where I want to spend my exhibition money. Or, you know, 22% of VPs of marketing in the United States uh, in SaaS pay attention to this podcast. That's the podcast I want to try and pitch to be on. That's the one I want to sponsor. You know, it's, it's that kind of data that uh, is so valuable for folks. And in terms of who gets value from it, uh, right now, I think it's about 60% of our customers are consultants and agencies. They tend to be small and medium-sized agencies rather than like the very big folks. 
um, which is great. I, I really like helping little guys and not, uh, not big folks. If you're a giant company and you have a huge budget, like you can go, um, you can get a lot of great data from somebody like Brandwatch, who has an enterprise version that's has some similarity with, with SparkToro. Uh, but we also have about 40% of our customer base that is product managers who are doing strategy for their new you know, product design and thinking about which market to enter, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, boards of economic trade and development, um, educational universities who are training their students. Uh, it includes a whole ton of in-house marketers, probably a good 30% of that 40% is, uh, is in-house marketers on teams who are you know, helping with, hey, could we get better ad targeting through SparkToro? Like, oh, well, now that I know all this about my audience, I can plug that into the Facebook ad targeting system or Google ads or whatever, right? Um, I can figure out which YouTube channels to sponsor and, and advertise against. These are a lot of the use cases. I, I don't know who gets the most value from SparkToro, but my guess is um, a lot of the value is actually right up front. You know, the first time you sign up for the tool and you run an analysis and you find like your people, your audience in the tool, that's that's when uh, a ton of these insights will pop up and you'll be like, oh, we never thought to do this kind of PR and look at the, the sources that our audience pay attention to. Let's go be in those places. That's where a lot of it comes from. Yeah, we are customers of Spector and uh, okay. we have used it um, for two or three different projects right now. and. Obviously, we will keep using it for, for our clients. The data that Spector has is so good. And the thing is that it adds perspective and it, it, it also, in, in, a, in a sense, makes our work more creative because we were so obsessed going after keywords. You know, what are the keywords? We need to find the keywords and go after keyword, you know, keywords that have commercial value or whatever. While with Sparktoro, we get an understanding of the audience and say, you know, take a step back and say, wait a minute, uh, are these folks talk about these things online? Could we create something that may have not, you know, value from an SEO standpoint, but may have value um, by creating, for example, a, a piece of content that may be linkable or, uh, you know, whatever. So I, I really like the tool. And as I was explaining before we started the recording, the, the biggest problem that we have with the tool is that its data is so good that we can't hide uh, our source. Like we have to say <laughs> at the end of the day, when, they, when people ask, we have to say, yeah, it's Factor. Like we can't hide it. Uh, but um, I'll, I'll have to make you an anonymous version. <laughs> yeah, yes, branded. Please. Yes, please. Uh, one question that I have for you is that SparkToro, as I understand it at least, and I think that you, you brand it also that way, but it's not an SEO tool, yeah? No. So I would like to ask, how do you make sure that people don't confuse your past with uh, Moz, with your present, with SparkToro? Um, yeah. And that is also clear that this is what the tool does. These are its capabilities. Uh, so actually, I think this is our biggest challenge. I, I recently wrote about this in our, in our two-year um, retrospective uh, blog post, which I put up last week. And the, the story essentially is we still have a ton of people every day who come to SparkToro and think 
assume that it is an SEO tool and we are getting data from Google search or um, some sort of keyword research. And so they, they treat SparkToro like it's SEO. So rather than you know, inputting words and phrases that people post to their public social accounts or words that they use in their bio or social accounts that they follow, all, all things that SparkToro does well, uh, people input keywords that they want to rank in Google for. And, and we can't help, right? That's not, that's not what we do. So, you know, a lot of the time the, the tool just gets confused. It spits back data that isn't particularly useful to folks. And I think this is where a ton of people uh, who try SparkToro just give up because they, you know, they get frustrated in those first four or five seconds. They don't read any of the copy. They don't, you know, look at any of the resources or watch any videos, which, which is fair, right? A lot of us, when we want to try a new free tool online, we just go and try it. We assume we know what we're doing, um, and this this is where we lose. I would say probably sixty, seventy percent of the people who try the product. So, so far, uh, this has been a very difficult challenge to overcome. We have talked about doing things like preventing people from inputting, uh, from using the frequently talks about, and instead requiring them to start with my audience follows a social account or visits the website um, or uses a hashtag and only enabling that frequently talks about, which is the one that could get confusing with SEO keywords, um, only enabling that after you've run one or two searches. Uh, but I don't know, it, it's dicey, right? You want to you wanna convey value to people quickly, but you also want to convey it in the right way. It, this is, this is a, a really challenging product and product marketing problem. So if you or your listeners have ideas for us, you know, hit me up on Twitter. <laughs> Bring it on. Okay. Um, I would like to, to ask you if there are any marketing lessons that you took from growing Moz to 40 million in ARR, I think approximately when, when you uh, left the company, um, to launching and growing SparkToro to what it is today. What have you learned from Moz that you implement it into SparkToro? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, so I think the biggest lesson for me at Moz that I wanted to repeat, that I wanted to do again with SparkToro is to build a flywheel that scales with decreasing friction. So what I mean by that is, you know, at Moz, Moz used essentially a content and SEO flywheel. So, you know, we, I, I would write a blog post, I'd publish it, um, you know, I'd target some, some SEO keywords, right, uh, in, that, in that post. Uh, I would, after publication, promote it to our audiences. So, you know, it'd go out to the email list of people who subscribe to the blog. It would go out on um, Moz's social channels and my personal ones. It would, um, you know, get, get promoted through the website and people visiting the blog and Historically, when people used to use that, the RSS feed, and then um, hopefully people would link to it, right? And and through that promotion um, and that engagement, you know, our ranking signals with Google would go up, and so you know, the next time we published a post, there'd be a slightly bigger audience, and there'd be slightly more ranking capability, and there'd be slightly more people uh, subscribe to the email subscription, you know, email feed and slightly more people who were following us on social channels. And all those things turned into this flywheel that it was very difficult to get going, right? Those first 100, 200 blog posts, they, they didn't do very much. But 
after a long time, eventually, you know, we sort of learned the practice and got good at it, built up an audience and ranking, ranking for content at, at Moz eventually became so easy that, that I used to say I had a cheat code for ranking in the top five. And that was the publish button. Like you hit publish on Moz. And if, if it's an SEO related post, you would rank in the top five because Google and, and people thought of Moz as being a great place to get SEO content. Um, with SparkToro, we do no SEO and actually a relatively small amount of content marketing. But I still wanted to take the lesson of that flywheel that scales with decreasing friction, right? Essentially, it's very difficult to get it going initially, but as it turns, right, as you perform the tasks over and over, each time you do it gets easier and each time you do it gets more valuable, right? So SparkToro, same story. When we, when we started publishing and making free tools and getting our name out there, you know, every sort of email subscriber we were earning, every uh, new customer, every person who paid attention to us on social or subscribed to one of our social channels was a slog. But these days it's, it's getting easier and easier. And my hope is three, four, five years from now, again, same kind of story. If SparkToro puts something out there and it's good, it will automatically reach a very large audience who cares deeply about the problem that that content or tool or data is solving and that flywheel turns with decreasing friction the the biggest uh marketing channel for us right now george is this it's what we're doing right now it has been essentially to go find places where our audience pays attention podcasts they listen to webinars they attend youtube channels they subscribe to blogs that they read email newsletters that they get in their inbox uh, conferences they go to right all those kinds of things and be present in those places get talked about be a guest on sponsor do a partnership with do a shared case study or research with them and it, and it works great right like it provides value to the publication and it provides value back to us and to our audience I kind of call this the influence marketing with no R, right? Like I don't need guy with six pack abs, you know, on the beach, taking off his shirt and, and posing with my product for 500 bucks. But I am finding the sources of influence that reach my audience and then marketing through those sources. Uh, and that's been very effective for us. I would like to ask, how do you find, because you mentioned good content, for Spectre, how do you define? I guess if we're talking about uh, a product where or a piece of content where the scope is SEO, okay, we can define you know good in terms of keywords and things like that or clicks and things like that. But for Spectre, where the direction is completely different, yeah, what would make you say that you know what this piece of content was a, a good piece of content? It got a lot of attention. It got a lot of I don't know, uh, it generated some buzz, uh, some uh, conversations. How do you define good for, for Spectre, for the content? Yeah, we actually, uh, we sort of have three different goals that three different kinds of what I call content and marketing serve. So one of those goals is talk to the most likely customers of our product usually in smaller groups, right? So it could be, hey, only 50 or 100 people attend this webinar every month, but they tend to be in-house marketers and marketing agencies who do content, social, 
you know, influence marketing, those kinds of things. That's where we want to be, right? We want to be in those places, even in those very small groups. For them, the, the definition of good content is, did it help them to understand what SparkToro does and why it's valuable? And did we present a viewpoint that's memorable to them, right? Did they sort of go, oh, this, you know, this Rand guy or, or Amanda, like they're talking about something that's really interesting to me and I'm going to remember it because it's unusual and different. It's not the same old, same old marketing talk. <clears throat> the second kind of content for us and, and marketing for us is uh, what I call earning broad attention, right? So things like SparkToro's fake followers tool, which has been in like 200 publications this week because everybody is talking about how many fake followers Elon Musk has on Twitter after he bought Twitter and blah, 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 right? Um, it's doing things like the zero click uh, searches research that I that I did initially with JumpShot and then with SimilarWeb and published that on SparkToro, right? And that is basically designed to show people that like there's a marketing universe outside of Google and Google is capturing a lot of the opportunity that that used to be flowing through SEO. So you might wanna consider other marketing channels to reach the audiences that you wanna reach. Again, got tons of attention, tons of whatever, links and coverage and those kinds of things. So that that's what I'd call broad awareness, right? Lots of people who'd never heard of SparkToro have now heard of SparkToro, even though they, they might not have necessarily tried the tool, they might not be ideal customers, but we're getting our brand out there. And then the third one is subscribe to our channels, right? So this is essentially, we want blog posts that people find interesting enough to where they say, gosh, this is fascinating. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be directly marketing related, but I do want to subscribe to it. I want to get these in my inbox every time they publish. I want to follow Rand and Amanda on Twitter and SparkToro on Twitter. I want to follow them on LinkedIn. I want to subscribe to their, their YouTube channel. I want to subscribe to their podcast, you know, those kinds of things. Um, those are the big three for us. And so good is defined as does it fit that goal? That makes sense. Um... By the way, I, uh, the, the post that first got my attention back in 2019, you published it, was the survey one uh, with, uh, yeah, this, this is when I, I started paying attention. Um, cool. and, then, and then obviously the, the no-click um, study that you did, um, th these are great pieces of content, at least, you know, at least for me. I don't know for other people. <laughs> the thing is, though, that all these things that, like you just described, kind of contradict with the typical like SaaS marketing, let's say playbook. Let's measure everything. Um, let's eat our competitors alive. Like let's uh, do alternative pages. Let's do comparison pages. Uh, let's build uh, backlinks to uh, like feature pages and so on and so forth. I would like to know, let's say that uh, a young founder or marketer comes to you and they are like, you know what? We have a, a new SaaS company, a new SaaS product that we believe in, uh, that we believe is, you know, really valuable. We have validated it. You know, everything is, uh, seems to be going well. How would you, what would you recommend? Uh, what would be the, the path that they could take? Because with SparkToro, you took that, let's say, direction uh, and it, it, it worked. But do you think that the same thing could, could work for another company? Um, like, what would be, I guess, the steps for, uh, for a young uh, SaaS company uh, in order to get attention and survive in a, in a 
saturated and cluttered mar market? Uh, so the answer is a little bit frustrating, but I'm, I'm sure um, as a marketer, you'll appreciate it, which is it, it totally depends on what the SaaS business is doing, right? There is, there is no, in my opinion, there should be no SaaS marketing playbook. I, I, I don't like that idea. I think that idea will bias you toward making poor decisions that are based on what other people are doing in markets that are not necessarily relevant to yours versus you serving your audience, your sources of influence and your customers in the way that is most appropriate for uh, moving your marketing forward. And by the way, it's not just about your market, right? So, you know, if you're in a market like Spartoro where essentially nobody searches for audience research tool, no, nobody actually looks for, there's no Google search volume for anything that suggests I want what Sparktoro does. We are building the market, right? It does, it does not exist. There's whatever, you know, 700 people every day who search for SEO software um, and another thousand who search for SEO tools and best SEO tools and Moz versus Ahrefs and, you know, whatever it is. There's none of that in, in the universe of Sparktoro, right? There's more searches for Sparktoro than there are for audience research tools. <laughs> and, and we're tiny, right? There's only three of us. We've only been around for two years. So, you know, it's a very different kind of market. And so one of the things that we do is think about how do we uh, get our brand out there and how do we get the idea of what our product does and the problem that our product solves out there. We're, we're selling two things, right? We're selling both SparkToro and the idea of, hey, marketers, you should do audience research so that you know where to reach your customers and potential customers. If you are in, you know, a SaaS market where you're selling financial analysis tools to banks, you know, the search volume is very low. The customer target set is super tiny and tight, but the average revenue per user and the you know retention rates are super high. You're going to have a very different kind of marketing challenge. And, and my suggestion would be that you target your marketing in two ways. One, to the audience that you want to reach, right? So appropriately for the audience you're trying to reach. And two, you should lean on your strengths. <clears throat> So if you are terrible at social media marketing, you kind of hate being on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and Reddit and Instagram, and you're like, I hate that crap. Pro probably you will not be good at it. I've never actually seen a marketer who's like, oh, God, I hate TikTok, but I'm such a good TikToker. <laughs> it doesn't happen, right? No, nobody, nobody who hates it and is like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not good at it, but it turns out, oh, I guess I can be very effective. That's that's not what happens. So my suggestion would be play to your strengths and to your audience. I think that makes sense. And you, you framed it perfectly because I guess that if, first of all, do, do you think that, uh, you know, SparkTor is creating a new category or operating at a, an existing category? I guess it's a little bit of both, but mostly creating a new category, right? I, yeah. I don't think, like you said, right? The data behind SparkToro is relatively unique. If, if, you, if you wanted to fundamentally say, hey, what percent of chemical engineers in the UK listen to, you know, this podcast or watch this YouTube channel or visit this website? 
I don't know how you would have solved that before. Like there just, there was no real way to solve that problem. You would maybe survey a ton of them and say like, hey, tell me about which ones you listen to. And you could probably get the top three or four from that. But would the data be solid? No. What you really want to do ideally is, you know, break into their houses, steal their phones, get their unlock code, you know, go through their, see everything they follow on all their social channels and what they subscribe to and check their email subscriptions, right? And, and then get all that data and do that for 100 people and, uh, you know, analyze it. But of course, this is super unethical and illegal and, and you should not do that. Um, but because of that, I don't think anybody thought about this as a, as a process. And it, it doesn't really have a name. Like when, you know, when we talked to marketers, when we were building SparkToro and we said, hey, we can tell you where you can reach your audiences. Uh, you know, we can help you do, you know, uncover a lot of the targeting that's going to make your, your Google ads and your Facebook ads and your Twitter ads and your Reddit ads, and your LinkedIn ads work better. We can tell you uh, where you can do organic marketing and, and PR and where you should place your content and how you should do hashtags. When we told people that and, and asked, how do you solve that problem today? The answer that we got back was, I have no word for this, right? I don't, I don't have a name for that process. Like sometimes I do those tasks. Sometimes I will attempt to figure out what hashtags my audience uses so that when I post on social, I use the right hashtags or so I can follow those hashtags and learn about them. I attempt to figure out which social accounts are popular with my folks, so, with my people so that I can do promotion in those right places but nobody had a name. Like it wasn't called something there. You know, if you asked a marketing uh, agency, Hey, what do you call that? Um, work, <laughs> the stuff I do, um, as opposed to, you know, things with names, SEO, social media marketing, content marketing, PR, um, PPC, you know, uh, performance advertising, those all have names. Audience research doesn't. So I, I, Mostly, mostly category creation. Okay, that's a perfect answer. And, and I really like the, the way you, you put it. The next question that I have for you, based on a post that I read from you a while back on um, the question was, who will amplify this and why? And mm. I guess this, this completely changed my, my perspective around content, both for us, for Minusia and for our clients. And I think about it nowadays, um, every time we, we are about to create a new post, at least for, for our brand, um, because the, the majority of our clients are heavily focused on, on SEO, how should people think about amplification? At the end of the day, who should they uh, create a piece of content for? Is it what they think in most cases their customers or is it someone else as well? I think it goes back to those those three different goals of content that we talked about earlier. And, and there might be more, right? So it could be that you are purely creating content because you want to be covered in an industry publication that has very little to do with your customers. But in the SaaS world, for example, lots of people do this in order to reach investors, right? They want venture capitalists to know about them, to think about them, to think they're a big deal, to, to have a call with them. And so they will go get into publications like, you know, whatever it is, Read, Write, Web or, or TechCrunch or, uh, you know, VentureBeat or those kinds of places, which is a content goal that is completely ancillary to customer development. And, and so the way I would think about this is 
who do I need to reach? What do they pay attention to? And what can I do that will earn that publications or that source of influences attention? And if you think that way, rather than how do I rank for keywords or um, how do I get links, you're going to be much more successful with your marketing. By the way, I agree with you. Of course, it depends on the scope, like uh, getting backlinks in some cases or ranking for keywords may be um, okay, as long as this is the scope and you're pretty clear about uh, the scope that you have behind each uh, piece of content that, that you uh, publish. Now, a while back, I was listening to a podcast uh, interview that you gave uh, and uh, you, uh, you said, and I quote, if I've learned anything over the last 20 years is that a ton of what turns into positive life outcomes comes from relationship building. Now, the question is, how do you build these relationships, especially when everyone's so busy and uh, negatively biased towards, you know, outreach? Yeah, um, I think I can tell you what's been most successful for me, but I, you know, I have a a funny eclectic way of operating and and that is essentially i i go out of my way to look for and pay attention to people who sort of appear in my world in one way or another um just through whatever life experiences online and offline and who appear to have um, shared values and beliefs um have shared interests uh, and, and passions, right, and, and things that they like, and uh, look for people who, uh, I'm going to say, like, resemble friends, <laughs> you know, they, they, that person, like, oh, man, it, feel, it feels like we should be friends. And sometimes I see someone online, right, this happens to me um, when I'm browsing Instagram sometimes, right, and I, oh, there's this woman who talks about how she, um, uh, moved to Italy and uh, now helps other, um, you know, uh, folks from all over the world, but but mostly English language speakers who want to move to Italy, like navigate the whole visa process and home buying and what is it like to live there and, you know, what is the bureaucracy like? And this kind of thing, I start following her on Instagram and I was like, man, she seems awesome and great and like everything she posts, I, I really get into and I think we should be friends. I should drop her a line sometime, right? And so, you know, maybe I'll start, D you know, I'll I'll comment on a few of her things and then I might send her a DM that's just a short like, oh, this was really great. And then a relationship might start up from there. It, it happens in real life too. I, uh, I was in a little town in the south of Italy and I ran into this uh, bartender who had, who had worked previously in London and we just hit it off. And, you know, now we're sort of online friends and uh, might make plans to meet up and he's training to be a professional sommelier. I, I don't know anything about this world, but he seemed like my kind of guy, you know, <laughs> like, I, like we, we should be friends. Uh, this is what happened with Amanda. I started following Amanda on Twitter um, and retweeting some of her stuff. And I was like, gosh, this woman is incredible. She's just amazing. We started DMing on Twitter. We met up for lunch in LA and she pitched me on why she should be SparkToro's first employee. Right, just like right there at the lunch table, and and she was right. Like she, it's a phenomenal match. She's perfect, absolutely perfect for the company that we're building. Um, I could not and would not do without her. And I I like this kind of one to one relationship building. You know, I don't I don't think about it the way I used to think about it when I was young, George. It was like 
how do I build the biggest audience? I want lots of people to pay attention to me. I want to be important, you know, like, like Elon Musk. I want lots of people to think that everything I say is super important and I'm the most powerful person around and, and I'm rich and famous. And, and I don't give a crap about that stuff anymore. Right now, I just, I just want lots of friends who are going to love me and whom I'm going to get to love for, you know, the next 40, 50 years. That, that's what matters to me. I think maybe this is what happens when you get older is, uh, you know, you get a little more sentimental and you start thinking about, well, you know, in 50 years, I'm probably not going to be working. You know, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be doing this, but I'm going to want to know this person. I'm going to want to see what's going on with them and their kids and their family. And I'm going to want to know that they're doing okay. And I want to share silly jokes and, you know, watch the same TV shows and make the same recipes. That, that's what I'm looking for in, in relationship building. It does turn into lots of valuable things. Like I can tell you, you know, I, this is random, but um, met up with a woman who's a, who's a marketer, um, Joanna Wiebe, right? From, from Copy Hackers, very well-known um, marketer and, and, you know, has done incredible things over her career. I met up with her and we were chatting about things that we're doing. I mentioned that I'm doing this video game, right? And she's like, oh, well, you know, my husband, Christopher, has started, he, he just started this new gig at, at Humanoid Studios and da, da, da. I had a phone call with him yesterday and we, we chatted, like he was incredibly helpful on all this stuff that we're doing around the, the video game that we're building and, you know, fundraising and financing for it and how to structure deals and, you know, what to do with your IP around the game. and. Amazing, right? Just like, and I could, I, I mean, I got on the phone with him and in five minutes, I said, oh yeah, we're going to be friends for a long time, right? <laughs> that's, just, that's just, sorry, now I'm in your life and, and now we're buddies. Oh, uh, that, that, sorry, that was a, a long <laughs> rambling answer, but the, I love this stuff. Like I care so much about, so much more about this than, you know, like, oh, well, you know, what's the latest with GPT-3 and how I, you know, turn my content into, no, 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 no. How do I build lifelong friendships? Let's do podcasts about that. <laughs> maybe one day, maybe one day <laughs> we, we will. Uh, so as we're running out of time, uh, the last thing that I would like to, to ask you is uh, what can we expect from, from you and SparkToro uh, in, the, in the near future? Yeah. Uh, so the biggest two things that we're working on, one is... We get a lot of requests uh, for languages that are not English. Right now, our coverage is quite poor. Uh, Casey is nearly done with building the SparkToro index in German. Um, it's much smaller than the English language one, which is no surprise because the sort of German speaking population of the planet is quite a bit smaller than the English language speaking one, but still quite good. Um, that should be beta testing probably in the next three to five months. Uh, and then right after that, Spanish. And uh, we are also building a feature that we call audience tracking, the one I was telling you about before, uh, before we started. Audience tracking essentially lets you say, hey, I don't need to research tons of audiences all the time, like different ones. I have my three or four audiences that I really care about reaching all the time. Like that, those are the only people I'm ever targeting. And I want to track their behavior over time. I want to see when a new podcast gets popular with them. I want to see when a new hashtag starts trending with them. I want to see when they stop talking about this topic and start talking about these seven other topics. I want to see when, you know, a particular website or even a particular web page, like maybe there's a, a news article that got really hot with them. 
that is essentially what um, what audience tracking is trying to do. And and every week uh, or every couple of weeks, give an update about hey, your audience's behavior changed in these meaningful ways. Excited about all these things. Um... Last question I have for you, where can people find out more uh, and get in touch if they want? Yeah, yeah. So I am personally at least most active on Twitter where I'm at Randfish. Uh, I am also relatively uh, active on LinkedIn these days. I'm sort of with Elon buying Twitter. I'm like, ooh, maybe, maybe I should put more effort into LinkedIn. Who knows what he's going to do to that network. Uh, and um, for SparkToro stuff, if you haven't tried it out yet, you can you can go set up a free account, run free searches. If you run out of your free searches, we'll actually send you more. Uh, so you can go play around with SparkToro at SparkToro.com. Um, and I write on the blog there along with Amanda at SparkToro.com slash blog. And one thing that if you allow me to, to add, uh, people should definitely check out uh, Lost and Founder. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's an amazing book. I've read it. Uh, Thank you. And yeah, and they should definitely uh, read it, especially if they're, uh, they are first-time founders, I would highly recommend, so that they feel a bit better about their struggles, I guess, as I yeah, felt when I, I, when, I, when I went through it. Uh, anyway, Rand, thank you very much. I really enjoyed that, and looking forward to the next time we will have, have you on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, take care, George. Thank you for staying with us until the end. Before you go, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and Analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahers.com AWT and sign up for free. Another episode of the SaaS SEO Show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel, where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.